0: standing you may be seated Uh, on the back table there out in the foyer uh, are the uh, just the prayer uh, the prayer updates and updates from a few of our missionaries each month we are going to uh, highlight uh, two different missionaries and uh, so this morning I'm going to uh, read their uh, their prayer and update letters for you but then if you'd like to uh, you can snag one on your way out. And then also there's information here in the bulletin and how you can how you can communicate with them. Uh, both of the uh, both of the families said that we could put their email address on there, and uh, we would love for you to uh, to communicate uh, with our with our missionaries. Pam has done such a wonderful job. Uh, on the back table there, and uh, and so I'm just thankful for uh, you and some of the other ladies just putting that together, and uh, just your your monthly uh, keeping that up to date, and so we're thankful for uh, for that. Well, we're gonna first off we're gonna look at the, the we're gonna talk about the board family, and uh, the board family they are missionaries down in uh, Cambodia, and uh, so Mike, if you can bring their uh, bring their picture up, but let me read their uh, their most recent letter uh, came in in January. Uh, Praise God for a uh, seemingly successful friend day several weeks ago. We are so blessed, not just because we had over 500 folks in attendance, but primarily because it is evident that hearts were opened to the gospel in a way that is far beyond our ability to imagine. We very rarely have big days here as they can tend to bring a lot of confusion to the lost. However, we are so thankful that the Lord orchestrated the day in such a way as it used to his testimony, the fellowship, and especially the straight and hard-hitting evangelist message by one of our national men to bring about conviction in the hearts of many who were present. We've seen several adults from Muslim as well as Buddhist backgrounds accept Christ as a direct result. Join us in praying that these folks will grow in grace, as they're being uh, discipled in the word of God and in the Christian life. Some of these new believers are already experiencing persecution for their faith and obedience to live in a way that honors Christ. And in the prayer letter uh, on the back there, there are many, many, many pictures uh, of some of these new converts. And so they're very, uh, very thankful for uh, just our support and uh, prayer uh, for their family there. And I'm very excited. We're going to have their family on September 9th of this fall, and uh, so we've got a couple couple missionaries coming in in uh, March. Uh, one is of course a, uh, a Messianic Jew that's going to lead us uh, through uh, our our Messiah in the Passover uh, Seder, and then he's going to also be teaching on this on the feasts of Israel. And so that is um, in a few weeks. And then the Sunday after that, uh, we also are going to have a new missionary that's going to be here, uh, Nathan Beal. And my prayer is that the Lord would uh, work on our hearts and to see how uh, we can partner with his ministry. But then we have another missionary uh, coming in September. And uh, and so, again, I just want to publicly say thank you to uh, Pam for uh, kind of just uh, making sure that, uh, that, that we can work um, orchestrate these these families coming in. Then the next prayer letter that I want to read is from the Bordell family. And uh, they are uh, missionaries down in uh, Costa Rica. So that is Ed and Norma uh, Bordell. And uh, we uh, we love the Bordells. It's been a while since, of course, we've seen them, uh, but they are just a, a blessing to us. I've had the privilege of being down there in Costa Rica, as well as Sarah and uh, maybe some of you all as well. But let me, pray, let me read their, their prayer letter. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, Psalm 105, verse 1. We are so grateful to the Lord for all his wonderful blessings and provisions since our last prayer letter. As we reflect over 2022, so this is our January, we are overwhelmed by all that God has done in our ministry. Let me also take a moment to say thank you for your prayer and financial support that helps us to accomplish our task. We have been blessed to see improvements in Norma's health. And just this past week, I had my annual checkup. The doctor was very pleased with all of the results. During the last several months, there have been salvations, baptisms. We also had our Christmas cantata with nearly 40 visitors and a large increase in our faith promise giving in Guadalupe. God also blessed us with several large financial gifts from our supporting churches and friend for special projects and personal needs. And it goes on to uh, how uh, even they were able to raise some money for a vehicle um, that, that they needed. I recently had an enjoyable experience in preaching at a missions conference in Leon, Nicaragua. I was scheduled to preach there during the week of Thanksgiving as I was looking for a plane ticket from Costa Rica uh, to Nicaragua. The cost was going to be $850 to $1,000. I informed the pastor that I was not willing to pay or have him pay that amount for a 45-minute flight. He offered to drive to San Jose and pick me up and bring me back 14 hours with immigration at about $700 in diesel. We finally figured out I could get to the meeting by taking a bus, and it was only $64.00. I started at the bus terminal at 5 a.m. and arrived at 8 p.m. I've never had a more eventful, enjoyable, and educating day, he said. The Lord showed and taught me many things from that trip. The return trip was even more eventful. Several times during the return trip, the bus had to stop to rest. Ha ha. I met many people on the, on the, on the trip, refreshed my memory of who I am and why I'm here. God is so good. Now I'm looking forward to doing that trip again this year. We saw many decisions for Christ with door knocking and large increase in their missions giving. Uh, that was the most eventful Thanksgiving of my life. I'm so thankful for all that God has done over the last several months of ministry. Once again, allow me to thank you for being so supportive with your faithful prayers and giving. And he goes on here with a little bit more. But the Bordell family—they are a, uh, a blessing, and so they're going to be our they're going to be our missionaries for uh, for the entire month. And their information is going to be out on the back table. In the months to come, uh, our our goal—even uh, meeting with Pam, our goal would be maybe into some of these services to maybe even do like a Zoom meeting or maybe they'll they'll produce a video for us. And so we desire to continue to get uh, missions before you even more. But so now we're starting just to highlight two missionaries a month and uh, their information is on the back there. And then also there are some cards uh, that you could, you know, jot them a handwritten note and send that off to them. And so uh, we're thankful for the board as well as the Bordell family. Now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. We are going to continue in our mini sub-series of the Sermon on the Mount that we entitled Kingdom Prayer. Kingdom Prayer. And I hope that you have learned something over the last uh, few weeks in this very uh, familiar prayer. Maybe uh, you have Grown up reciting it, maybe even yourself, or you've seen it written down. Sometimes at uh, memorial services, they'll they'll give you a card, and sometimes this this prayer uh, is on that is on that card. But this morning, we're going to talk about prayers' priority. What is the what is the priority of prayer? And I think we might learn something unique today uh, from, this, from this text. So let's read the prayer again, in, starting in verse number 9 of Matthew 6. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors." And lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But this morning, we're going to lock in on just that phrase of hallowed be thy name. I think for most people, at least as I was pondering this this week, most people, we the, the focus on prayer is, is more of a response of how to do it rather than what it's for. I think sometimes we wanna, we wanna learn the how-tos, and I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with that. This series in and of itself actually is a, uh, is a broad way of saying how to do it, but this morning, I wanna focus, on, focus in on what it's for. See, we tend to be pragmatists, When it comes to this topic prayer for us has become a means to an end and oftentimes that mean or the means is a is a selfish one where we're trying to we're trying to get to something at the end that is really all about us i heard a preacher once said people usually use their prayers like a sailor uses their pump when the ship begins to bring on water And I think that's sometimes generally true. Prayer for many is sort of a last-ditch effort. Another way of looking at it would maybe be that prayer is like a spiritual parachute. It's, It's nice to have one, but you hope you never really have to use it. Prayer has a way of being given the wrong perspective because we see it our way, instead of God's way. But as we've been learning in this mini-series, prayer is not primarily for us. It's actually for God. Prayer is not so much a, to, to gain for what we think we need as it is to give God the ability to display His glory, the ability to display His power and majesty in your life. It's not all about what we can get. It is about how we can display the power and the might and glory of God. I'll be honest with you, I so loved teaching last week on just this kind of fatherly perspective, that portion of our Father, that God is our Father. The Aramaic word would have been Abba which we kind of get our concept of the word daddy from that he is our he's our he's our daddy it's a term of great closeness a term of personal warmth a term that belongs to a family i wonder if that's your perspective of god when you think of god is it warm to you is it close to you or is he distant is he um, angry all the time? I, I wonder what our, what our thought process is when Jesus starts this kingdom-type praying with our Father. It's a familiar word. Our Father, which art in heaven, means that he can meet the need because he has unlimited eternal resources. God is not distant. He's not some tyrant. God isn't some kind of cruel eternal being that steps on those he rules. But he is a loving, tender, caring father. Paul Tanier, a a great Christian doctor, he tells the story of a patient of his and it was the, the youngest daughter of a very large family. And she had overheard her dad saying at one time, Ah, she's one that we could have done without. Just careless with what he said. And she overheard him say that. And Tanir would say this, that is precisely, hear me, what God can never say. He is a loving father to every one of his creation. God said to Moses, for example, I know thee by name. Have you ever wondered why the Bible is full of genealogy after genealogy? Just kind of name after name after name after name. You know, why, why all of the genealogies? Why does God bother, right? When you, if you've ever kind of reading the Bible through in a, in a year, or maybe if you're not even trying in a year, you kind of get to some of those sections of, you know, so-and-so had so-and-so and begat so-and-so. And, begat, and It's like, okay, all right, let's just keep going, right? How many of you have ever done that? Oh, thank you, I'm not the only one, appreciate it. But like, why? Why does, why does God do all of that? And of course, God has specific reasons. Often he'll even tie Christ into those lineages, but he has a reason. But overall, can I just tell you why they're so special to me? Not that I always read them, but that they're special to me is that God wants people to know that he knows them by name, by name. And later in his sermon of Jesus here, we'll get to later even in this chapter, he's going to begin to tell us that that, that no sparrow even falls to the ground without our heavenly Father knowing it. Dr. J.F. McFadden said this, if you take that out of the Greek and put it in the Aramaic, it says, not one sparrow hops without your heavenly Father knowing it. He doesn't just know when a sparrow dies. He knows where a sparrow lands and when it hops. He cares about little things. He knows your name. He is a loving father. Like I said, I loved teaching last week. I love just bringing in that familial aspect of that he is our father. But today, we're going to turn to the statement of the prayer that says hallowed be thy name. And I want you to just kind of think of the prayer that we read at the beginning. Hallowed be thy name is actually the the first request within this model or this kind of disciple's prayer. The first request is on God's behalf. Before you ever get to praying for yourself, you begin by praying our God, on God's behalf, hallowed be thy name. Then the second request is, Thy kingdom come. And the third request would be, thy will be done. Then we get to the point where we say, give us this, lead us here, forgive us. And then you come back full circle, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and amen. Start with God, end with God. And so this really is the first request. You're coming to our father, this familial picture that I so loved teaching last week on, And now you're praying about his his name, this priority being God. A.W. Pink said it this way, "'How clearly then is the fundamental duty in, in prayer set forth? Self and all its needs must be given a secondary place and the Lord freely accorded the preeminence in our thoughts and supplications.'" This petition must take the preeminence for the glory of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. Hallowed be thy name puts God in his proper place. What a song we sang about the name and it was a joy to have Mama Marquita back up there singing. I, I, I heard you and I saw you, praise God. Hallowed, we sang about his name this morning. There's no other name. I like how Mike always say he kind of leaves his one name before we actually say one name. I like that. What a name we sing about. Even though he is our loving father, even though he cares to, to meet our needs and he has heavenly resources to do that, our father which art in heaven, my first request is not on my own behalf. It's to be on his Hallowed be thy name is a warning against this self-seeking prayer at the very start. It's such a phenomenal phrase. But do we understand what it is? Do we sit there this morning or did I study these weeks and actually know what this means? See, if we're thinking about terms of like, you know, like long live the king, we're, we're, we're way off. That's not at all what it's referring to here. This phrase encompasses all of God's nature, and I'm gonna show this to you from scripture. I'm gonna literally, you gotta let me, I'm gonna build a huge, huge, just platform foundation, super long introduction, and then we're gonna go into some points and then we'll be done, amen? Then we'll go to eat, amen? Okay, there's a few more amens. I know, you don't want me to be done. I'll just go for hours, that's okay. I like that. So it's, this, it, it's all of God's nature, all of man's response to his nature. It's not a casual word of just this religious routine that we just say, hallowed be thy name. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching that, listen, this actually isn't something that you have to say all of the words. I'm gonna actually give you a totally different version of the beginning of this prayer here in a few minutes. It opens a whole dimension of respect and reverence and appreciation. And worship for God. See, in today's culture, we think of somebody's name as just simply their name. We might even kind of say it something like this, what's in a name? Like, that's kind of what we would say. My name is Ryan. Ryan's name means little king, leader, kingly, kind of a ruler. Frankly, that's debatable to a lot of people. There's really nothing in that name. There's a lot of people named Ryan who could care less about trying to lead or care less about, you know, God even uh, in and of himself. But we need to go back and we need to think through the term name as a Hebrew saw it. See, the Jews, they had such a sacredness attached to God's name that they had almost even kind of gone overboard. They were concerned about not saying the word that was the name for God, all the while dishonoring him with their life and their actions. They were very busy dishonoring him and his word, destroying his truths, but they were trying to hallow his name. Just the name itself, the letters that made up his name. For example, you may remember reading in the Old Testament, you read the word Jehovah. How many of you have read the word in the Old Testament, the word Jehovah? There's actually no such word Jehovah in the Hebrew. Although it appears all throughout the Old Testament, there's no such word. You may ask, well, then then, where did it come from? Well, in Exodus, God told Moses, I am that I am. That's his name. That means Yahweh. Maybe another familiar word that you would know for God is the word Adonai. How many of you have heard of the word Adonai, which means the the Lord God? Now, the Jew, they did not want to say Yahweh. The, the, The Jew wanted to be holding the name of God sacred, but they had reduced it down to just the name, not God's person or his will. So the Jew would not say Yahweh. In fact, in some orthodox circles, you, 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 if you try to say that in kind of in a Hebrew context, you could have some issues. There could be some that would that would want to argue with you. Some I've read where they're literally kind of hostile and they're going to kick you out of even out of the meeting. They're of course they're not all like that. So they what they what they do? They took the consonants out of the word Yahweh, and they took the vowels out of the word Adonai. They put them together and came up with. Jehovah, which can't you say? It's kind of which is a kind of a a non-word. They made it up so they would not have to say the real word that is God's name. But how fake it was! While they were so careful to not say the name, they constantly blasphemed the one who held that name. Now what Jesus is teaching us and hallowing the name is that we respect God for who He is not just his name as a name it's an all encompassing concept let me continue to kind of try to give you this this jewish understanding of names in bible times the name was more than a title we don't live in bible times we live in a culture where kind of names really don't mean anything but in bible times names n- names meant something and in first samuel 18 Uh, There's this illustration in verse number 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Can we get that verse up on the screen there? Mike, do we have that verse? There we go. Let's, let's, Let's read that again. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. So David, he's got a good reputation. His reputation with the people is good. He's, he's behaved himself wisely, um, more wisely even than Saul and his servants, so that his name, next verse, was highly esteemed. Now, they weren't esteemed in the letters of his name. David's name being esteemed meant he himself. His name is standing for who he is. We would say today in 2023, in our in our Western culture, we would say something to the degree, so-and-so has made a name for himself. All right, that's kind of how, how maybe we would say it. So-and-so has a good name. Now, when we say something like that, we're not referring to R-Y-A-N. We would be saying that Ryan has a good name for himself. He has displayed character or whatever you want to say about so-and-so. That's how we would word it. The name then stood for the whole character of the person reveal, revealed in the scriptures here. Let me give you another illustration of this. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 33 and 34, you're going to find Moses, he's having a little discussion with God. And he's having a discussion with God about his glory. He wants to be sure that God is going to be with him. He wants to be confident that, that God was indeed going to be with him. You see in Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, and he said, I beg thee, show me thy glory. And he goes on and kind of saying, hey, do not give me a job where you're not going to be with me. I do not want you going. I do not want you sending me somewhere where you yourself, you're not going to go with me. I want to know that you are visibly with me. And the only way that I can know that you're visibly with me is show me your glory. And God says, okay, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to show him my glory. Then he comes down into chapter 34, verse number five says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, let me teach for a while here because it's going to make more sense later. It says, the name of the Lord. The Lord comes down and he proclaims his name. What does that mean? What did he, what did he say? Did he say, Lord, 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 Lord? Well, what did he say? What did did he proclaim when he said his name? Verse number six says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord thy God, the Lord, the Lord thy God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Whatever he said in verse six is equivalent to his name, in verse 5, he proclaims his name here, the Lord, the Lord God, and it doesn't stop there. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. And then verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. In other words, listen to me, in God's name is the, is the combination of of his attributes. His name describes him and who he is and what he is. It's embodied in the name. And hallowing his name is not having some kind of fetish about speaking the word God or the word Lord. It's hallowing all that God is in terms of his attributes. Let me show this to you again. Psalm nine, verse number 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Did you hear that? For they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Now, if we take the concept of a name to mean just the word, does everybody who knows knows the word or knows the name God, trust in him? Of course not. That's foolishness to even think that's the case. But those who know thy name, those who perceive the fullness of who God is, trust in him. My friends, when the blinders actually do come off and you actually see the Lord for who he is and what he is to you, trust me, you will trust him. Because it's more than just the letters of a name. It's the essence of what it means in Psalm 910. They knew who God was. Do we? Do we know him? You could go through the Psalms and you could chart this all the way through but it's repeated again and again. Psalm 17, verse 17, or Psalm 7, verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Psalm 102, verse 15. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. Do they fear the letters? No. They fear the embodiment of who God is. Nick, can you jump down to Psalm 20? Put a little work on you this morning. Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Do you think that the psalmist is saying that the power is in the letters? No, no. You have the connection here of chariots and horses. No, no, no. We're not gonna gonna trust in that. We are gonna trust in everything that we know about God. That's who we're gonna trust in. That's what the psalmist is saying there. But if you really wanna have an understanding of this concept of a name, we find that in John 17, Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus said, I have manifested your name. What did he mean by that? I am revealing who you are. John 1, verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, John 1, 1. Jesus was the word, Jesus became flesh. Verse 14, and why did he come? To display the glory of God. He manifested God. Jesus is the embodiment of the name of God. He is the manifestation, the human display of all that God is. And that is what his name means. So a name is not a title, it is a whole person putting it in plain terms, we might begin to say this prayer this way. So remember what I've said. It's not that we just use these words. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Can Can I rephrase that for you? Our Father, who loves us and cares for us, and who has in heaven supplies to meet our every need, May your person, your identity, your character, your nature, your attributes, your reputation, your very being itself be hallowed. That is what it's saying. It is not some superficial phrase, hallowed be thy name, just thrown at God in some ritualistic form. This is a way of approaching God continuously. To understand the fullness of who he is and to hallow that, to respect that, to live in that fashion for who he is. So, this is what it means to hallow his name. Thanks, Ryan. But how do do we do that? How can I know that this prayer is answered? Remember, this is the first request. Is that, that, that God, that, that your name would be hallowed? Let your name be hallowed in my life. Let your name be holy in my life. But how? Now we're landing. You ready to land? I'm hungry too. Number one, we hallow his name when we believe he exists. And this is gonna grow. The statement's gonna grow. We hallow his name when we believe that he exists. Hebrews eleven six says without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and he he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And by the way, the Bible never tries to prove that. It doesn't ever try to prove the existence of God. Do you know why? Because God is self-evident. God is axiomatic. An axiom is something that does not need to be proven. An axiom is what stands against the thing that is trying to be proven. God and his existence is the, is the axiom in the Bible. God is, God is never proven. Everything else is proven in relation to God. The Bible writers never seek to prove it. They just believe it. And you'll never hallow God until you believe that he is. Now, can we do our due diligence? Can we search the scriptures? Absolutely. Can we search historical documents? Can we read scientists? Absolutely, we can. But listen, we're never gonna hallow the name of God until we believe that God exists. Sir James Jeans, the astronomer, said this, no astronomer could ever be an atheist. I like that. Immanuel Kant, this is the philosopher that my daughter is going to study this week. Uh, He had had a lot of strange views, but he also said some good stuff. The law within us and the starry heavens above us drive us to God. So God, my friends, is self-evident in man and around man, and we begin to hallow God when we believe that he exists. So for most of us in this room, I know who I'm preaching to. You say, yeah, okay, all right, got that one. I believe God exists, but it doesn't stop there because number two, if we're gonna hallow this name, not only knowing that he is, but by knowing the kind of God that he is. Now, here's where I want to pick up some of you. Not only do we believe that he exists, but we've got to make sure that we are believing the God of the Bible, that we're believing accurately about him. Because there's many people who say, yeah, hey, hey, I believe in God. I mean, there's just millions and billions probably of people in our world today say, oh yeah, I believe God. But they don't hallow his name because they do not know who God really is. So true doctrine about God, which is the truths of the word of God, true doctrine about God and the teaching from God are the way we reverence God. False doctrine about God and false teaching about God are irreverence. So sometimes we think that we take the Lord's name in vain when we say Jesus Christ in some other way, or we say God or something like that, and there's truth to that. Are you ready? You ready for me to make a statement? We good? We are landing, I promise. I promise. We take the Lord's name in vain also when we think a thought about God that is not true of him. vain empty worthless that's what the word means there's no there's no value to it god doesn't love me that is an empty and that is a vain thought about god and you use his name Hey, and we could just kind of go down. There's a litany of things that we could say, right? That, my friend, we've got to be careful when we doubt his love, when we doubt his care, when you disbelieve God's power and his provision for you because that's not the true character of his name. His name. Illicit wrong thoughts about God. Do not hallow his name. Origen, who is one of the early church fathers, said this. The man who brings into his concept of God ideas that have no place there takes the name of the Lord God in vain. Let me say that again. The man who brings into his concept uh, of God ideas that have no place there takes the name of the Lord God in vain. So you know that he exists. but We got to get into the book to learn his character to learn who he is. Let me give you a third way that we hallow it. We hallow his name when we are constantly aware of his presence. So we know that he exists and we know who he is. Well, now let's bring it down to the awareness of our everyday life. Knowing that he is and knowing who he is and bringing that to everyday life, that's gonna change some things. We're gonna hallow his name. Psalm 16, verse number eight says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. See, for most of us, our thoughts of God are intermittent, but the psalmist said here, hey, I I wanna set the Lord always before me. You know, sometimes our thoughts about God are very intense, absolutely and sometimes they're completely absent. Let's take a Sunday, for example. We think a lot about God on Sundays. And maybe even it kind of goes into our afternoon. But what about Monday and Tuesday? Sometimes we don't think all that much. Sometimes we're, sometimes we're looking at numbers. Sometimes we're, you know, we're, we're working with wood or whatever it is that we're doing. And we're in a medical field. Sometimes we're not always you know, cognizant of the Lord. And so if we're not careful, we can go through periods of time, maybe even weeks, where we think very little about God. But to really hallow his name, I've been challenged with this this week in my life, is to draw conscious thoughts of God in my everyday moments of my life. Now you say, Ryan, you've got a little bit easier because you spend your weeks reading and reading the word, and there's a lot of truth to that. But even I've got to say, Lord, help me to be conscious of you in my everyday life. Here's the question for you, do you see God everywhere? Do you hallow his name in your living? And then that brings us to our fourth point here. We hallow God's name when we live a life of obedience to him. Track with me with this. We acknowledge that he exists And not only do we acknowledge that he exists, we we get into the word and we actually learn about who our God is. And we learn about his character and his attributes that he's loving and gracious and kind and he's powerful. And so we allow that to begin to shape our thought processes to where now he's preeminent in my life. And yet I'm gonna say, you know what? No, I'm not going to obey that. doesn't make any sense. Yet we do it all the time. We believe that he exists. We have a right caricature of who the God of heaven is. And we're trying to allow that to permeate into everyday life. So I'm hallowing his name. And then God tells us, don't do this. I'm going to do it anyways. Or God says, hey, do this. No, I'm not doing that. We Disconnect. Taking the whole journey of what it means to hallow the name of God. How is it hallowed among us? The answer is we, both in our doctrine and our life, we're truly Christian. Jesus said earlier in this sermon, let your light so shine in Matthew 5 before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Hallowed be thy name means God being on display through Ryan. Let this light so shine through me so that God, you could be glorified. How do I do that? How, How do we really let God be made manifest? This is the living out What you believe, this is the obedience. Because we can believe that God exists. We can believe the right things about God. And we can believe that he is ever present in our thoughts. But if we do not live that before others, hear what I am about to say. His name is not hallowed. It's blasphemed. When we don't live any different than our lost neighbor that's struggling with the same things we're struggling with, When we don't, when when we, when we act like the lost person when it comes to some of the struggles that we've had the last three, four years in our country and there's nothing different about us, there's no different about our thinking, there's no different about our actions, there's no different than the way that we live. Listen, he's not hallowed. But you know who hallowed it perfectly? Jesus. Perfectly. He came to glorify the Father. And he did it perfectly on your behalf and on mine. Christ came and he said, I only want to do the will of the Father. In the garden of Gethsemane, when the cross was bearing down upon him, he's like, Lord, is there any other way? Okay, Nevertheless, at thy will, I will obey. He always perfectly obeyed for you. So that now, we as a believer, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, this message, don't let it feel like a backpack. Unleash Christ in you, because Christ in you will hallow the name of the Father. Because that's why he came. Came to glorify him. He came to obey him so that he could bring many sons to glory. He wants you in on the party of glorifying the Father. Our Father, man, I love that part. And you know what I've also learned to love? Hallowed be thy name. God, you're kind, you're gracious, you're powerful, you're loving. And God, thank you in Christ for inviting me to the party to display him like that verse says. Let your light shine. What's that light? Christ in you to a world around us. So when we pray, when we're praying before the Lord, can I encourage you to not make it all about yourself? It's hard. Start with him, praise who you are in him, the beauty of who he is and let the Lord rescue you because he perfectly did it. Every head bowed, every eye closed.